You're listening to episode 19 of In Film We Trust. I'm Liam. I'm Wayne. A weekly podcast where we discuss, dissect and deep dive all things film, from the obscure to the mainstream. And now, on with the show. Tsukamoto's 1989 body horror Tetsuo the Iron Man is not like many films. It uses 16mm black and white film to tell a warped story of a metal fetishist who, after inserting a rod into his leg, runs into the oncoming car of the salaryman. When the metal fetishist exacts his revenge, the salaryman soon finds himself turning to metal. Using filming techniques such as stop-motion animation, we weave our twisted way to a climax that will include world domination. So when I was researching this film, I came across a website called flickeringmyth.com and the review for this film started off, I think very appropriately, it said, Japanese cinema has often been a frontrunner for the weird and wonderful. I can't think of a better way of putting it than that. Weird and wonderful, Wayne. It it perfectly encapsulates this film. This is what, I think this has to be the most experimental film we've done so far. Definitely one of the most experimental films I've ever seen. Yes. Not, it, not just ones we've covered, ones I've ever seen. Obviously directed by Tsukamoto, mm-hmm. 1989. Yes. Based on a play he wrote in college. That would have been interesting because he wrote and starred in this because he writes and stars in this too. So did they ever make the play or was it just written? No, I think he actually did perform the play. They did when perform he was, it. I think it did actually That would be an yeah. experience. How do you think that translates over to a... A live medium. Well, I don't know because the film relies a lot of the time on various editing and film yeah. techniques, the kind of things you couldn't do on stage. So I don't know. Like, what would it have looked like, you think? This is a, a perfect encapsulation of film and techniques, as mm-hmm. you just said. Yeah. So, for example, a big portion of this film or a big highlight of this film is the stop motion. Yes. How would you translate those kind of techniques to a live theatre experience? You can't really, unless you just moved in a different way. But stop motion is a thing, again, reserved for things like movies and TV. You can't really do it in a live format like a play. There is Obviously, there's experimental plays, Mm -hmm. but this almost feels inherent to film this film. To, yes. To say. Well, when you think of experimental plays, that's experimenting, experimenting with where to move your actors. Or the how, form. Or the form. Or, yes. like, for example, I've seen a play once where the whole thing was these two big kind of circular sets, and every time the scene changed, the sets rotated and you're in the next scene. That's kind of experimental here. Again, it's all editing, film techniques, and like you say, the stop-motion animation. But we, as we should say, this film, actually, there was a gestation period, because, of course... It was written as a play, but Tsukamoto also done The Phantom of Regular Size two years prior, <laughs> a short film, a short film filmed on Super 8 film, yeah. which is essentially, you would say, a prototype to... Yeah, he did two short films, both of which were filmed on Super 8, right. and I think making those, I don't know how much money he made from them, but it gave him the confidence to move on to do this. This was 16mm. 16mm, which I think perfectly captures the degradation of the the landscape of the film the aesthetic the aesthetic is yeah. a very kind of dirty gritty rundown look to it yeah because 16 millimeter a lot of independent films use 60 millimeters it's almost like a hallmark of of independent cinema i think they should bring back 16 millimeter i love the aesthetic of 16 millimeter mm-hmm. it always feels good when they bring it back because you're what it's because it's all digital film now but when you look back at these uh, these 16 millimeters or 32 millimeters yeah there's a a uniqueness to it that you just can't capture in digital recording. 
this film also ties in somewhat to, we obviously covered a film called Upgrade. Mm -hmm. Upgrade is under the cyberpunk genre. This also is under the cyberpunk genre, though Tsukamoto had never heard of the term cyberpunk while he was making this. No, well, was cyberpunk not coined in the 80s? I think, because this movie was 89. 89, but it was filmed over 18 months. 18 months, it was over 18 months, and it was a very difficult shoot from what I read. A lot of the crew members actually Mm. left. They did, because it was filmed filmed in uh, Kei Fujiwara, who plays the, yep. the female lead. It was pretty much entirely filmed in her apartment, and a lot of crew members lived on the set. Can you sum this up? You you may know. I'm, I'm not sure the answer. Was the girlfriend in this film Tsukamoto's actual girlfriend at the time? Do you know or not? don't think she was. I didn't come across anything that Because I've that. read two conflicting things, that it was her apartment, as you just stated, and but yet it was also Tsukamoto's apartment. So I'm kind of wondering, hmm, I wonder if there were a couple at the time. Hmm. No, I didn't I didn't come across anything that said that, just that it was uh, that it was her apartment. Something else I found that is that about the only crew member that actually stuck with the production yeah. only did so because he wasn't actually living on set because it would have mm-hmm. been that... They would have gone stir-crazy trying to make this film and living on the set at the same time. Do you think living on set was necessary? I don't think so. Was it just budgetary It reasons? must have been. You just couldn't be bothered shipping them from place to place. So, ah, just, just look, just stay here. We will, yeah. We'll find a way. Yeah. Also, here's a question I was thinking of. A while ago, quite a while ago, we did Censor, yep. which was about the video nasty thing. It's a terrific film. Exactly. Very good film. Do you think if this movie had been made in like the UK or America, it would have been classified as a video nasty? Because I read an article that suggested it might have been. Hmm. Does it seem like a video nasty? Is it a video... That's that's an interesting thing. But here's the thing. Is it too artful to be a video nasty? It could be. It's a film that you have to say when you watch it, It's for a lot of people, it's very difficult to know what to make of it because that flickeringmyth.com yep. article I told you about, the guy who wrote it, he sat down with two friends to watch it. At the end of the film, one of them said, what the actual fuck is this? The other one said, is this the greatest film ever made? Do you have an opinion yet, Wayne? Well, Ooh, we'll, no. we'll, we'll get no, to it as we go along. Don't... I wouldn't go... I wouldn't go to maybe either right. of those extremes. But Ooh. yes, it's it's you have to admit it is a difficult movie to know what to make of it. A film always compared to David Lynch and David Cronenberg, mm-hmm. which isn't accidental because Tsukamoto mm-hmm. himself had said they are the father of my style. Yeah. He was steeped in their films. Mm-hmm. It's com- very complimentary to be compared to either of those guys. Definitely. I even wrote down it was very David Lynch-esque, especially as Eraser Razor Eraser yep. Head, yeah. Even like the look of it, the stop motion animation, the kind of dark and gritty feel, everything felt like it was. When was a Razorhead? Was that the end of the seven? early early eighties? Early eighties, yes. Before he did like, which um, was a terrific film. Do you like a Razorhead? Yeah, a Razorhead was really good. Yes. And that's kind of playing on the same. Like th- this film itself, it's it's almost like a nightmare or dreamscape, mm. isn't it? Yeah, it's it's like I wrote down. It's like a nightmare that you can't wake up from. A nightmare that you're stuck in. Which is a, a moment ago you mentioned the video nasties. But I think this actually would be hard to classify as a video nasty for the sole purpose that a lot of the themes and the degeneracy, if you want to call it, is hidden in imagery, what doesn't make it explicitly obvious. Yeah, well, there's not so much dialogue. So much of this movie is... Imagery. Watching the characters interact, it's the animation. Yeah, it's the imagery, but that's what tells the story. The BFI, the British Film Film Institute, called it, and I quote, metallic mayhem and graphic depravity. 
There's another good way of putting it. I think it. That's, that, de- that definitely sums it up, Wayne. It that does, definitely yeah. sums it up. Do you know if it did success, if it was, did well at the box office? I don't think so. I I, oh, I wish I'd read it down. I forgot where. It was very going underground. It was very unnoticed, but they played it at a film festival, mm-hmm. and that's where it gained a cult following. I think it was actually more successful in Europe than it was in its native Japan. Oh, was it? Because I was trying to find any information I could about how much money it made, and this one thing came up, and it said it made five hundred eighty-five million dollars. I'm like, shit! I'm like, oh, that's Iron Man. That's how, uh, yeah, <laughs> that's, yeah. That, that's what. Bit Iron of a Man, different film. Quite a different film. There yes. was an anecdote where uh, the director Sukamoto, he was asked, where, where, "Where's the name uh, Tetsuo come from?" Because I think there's two interpretations of in Tetsuo, the, the name itself. There's a Translation where it means Iron Man. Mm-hmm. So literally the the name of this film is Iron Man the Iron Man. <laughs> right. But there's also in, can you remember there's a cyberpunk animated film, um, Akira. Akira, There's yeah. a character in there called Tetsuo. There is Canada and Tetsuo, yeah, they yep. were the lead characters. And Sukamoto was asked this, he said, oh, well, I thought of changing the name because mm. it would maybe imply too much that he's come, you know, influenced by Akira. And he said... Ah, sod it. Oh, or do you think adding the subtitle kind of would clarify? Because if you just heard of a movie called Tetsuo, maybe a lot of audiences outside of Japan wouldn't have been interested. Because the name Tetsuo can also mean in Japanese gift or philosopher. Oh. Those kind of interpretation. And I think there's an interpretation where it just means Iron Man. Yeah. Okay, yeah. well, honestly, it's a film with, I have to say, like you say, interpretation. That's a perfect word to talk about this film because there are so many different themes going. Like you say, it's proof like a razor head that even a film that seems very simple on the surface, there's many layers to it and there's many different ways you can um, appraise it. Definitely many layers. The first time I watched it, for the first 20 or so minutes, I thought, my God, this is brilliant. <laughs> then it got to a point where I was like, hmm, this is actually getting to the point where is it using a form too much or a technique too much where it's just becoming a mindfuck? You thought it was maybe overkill. But no, second time I watched it, I thought, all right, I get this now. Hmm. I'm, I'm appreciating for more than just a stylistic approach. I'm actually getting its themes, mm-hmm. getting its intention. It's funny because when you mentioned that, talked about David Lynch earlier, the first time I seen Mulholland Drive, I felt yep. the same way. I was really frustrated with it the first time, but when I watch it back... Uh, subsequent viewings I'm like yeah this is really good this is really well done I think some of the best cinema does that Lost Highway was the same I'm still not sure what David Lynch's Lost Highway is completely about maybe David Lynch doesn't know either no I I think (laughs) when you have a vision so much Mm -hmm. you have an interpretation already Mm -hmm. they're not going to admit to that Lynch is very cavalier here (laughs) and he won't admit to anything he says it's what you want it to be so you think he's done that to inspire more conversation yes he doesn't want want people to keep asking him what I think we discussed this with Under the Silver Lake and there's an endurance in the unknown because Mm. it keeps the audience coming back for more and it keeps them guessing yeah. rather than just summon it up. It's like, there's filmmakers, and I'm not being specific here because I can't think at the moment, but there's <laughs> filmmakers who will make something completely convoluted and completely weird, but in the last 20 minutes, they'll wrap it up mm-hmm. and they'll tell the audience. Mm. But there's films that endure where it's so much of a mindfuck and even the last act is never explained. Yeah. So it's everything's up for the audience to interpret themselves. The kind of thing, the kind of films where like think pieces are written, people discuss it extensively. You bring your friends over and say, watch this, not do you enjoy it? What do you think it means? Exactly. And that's, I feel exactly, that's what Tetsuo is. Which we should get to, Wayne. Yes. Which obviously this film starts off so brilliantly, it encapsulates and it sets the tone for the entire piece, which is something we always go on about. Films that 
from the get-go, tell the audience exactly what it's going to be, because we're introduced through Ishikawa's score for this film, which is very much a clanging, banging, industrial-sounding yeah. soundscape. When I was when I was trying to describe the score for this film, the best thing I could come up with is basically someone took a bunch of pots and pans out of the kitchen cupboards and just started banging on them, because it's very it's metallic. It is extremely metallic, which is obviously I mean, how, how do you set thematically a tone? How do you point? set a tone about an Iron Man better than metallic score? It reminded me, can you remember, well, there's still bands of this ilk, Skinny Puppy, Ministry, later Nine Inch Nails, Nine Inch Nails all these yeah. kind of industrial, industrial bands. metal bands. Yeah. Or even techno, mm. this kind of, you know, this industrial, depersonalised music almost. There's kind of a mix because there's almost kind of jazzy scores at various points. Well, that gets yeah. to a point at the start, yeah, yes. It's like the score, it's like the score is even there to disorientate you. And it's funny, this film, nobody's really got a name. Our first, no. ca- our first character we're introduced to is credited as the metal fetishist. Yeah, but he's listed as, I've always found him listed as Guy. You right. have, I found Guy, the other male lead is called Man, and then the woman is called either wife or girlfriend. It's never really specified yeah. whether she's either of those. And this metal fetishist is actually played by Sukumoto himself. Yeah, he's actually... A director, young Sukumoto. Which I didn't find out until afterwards. No? Yeah. Also, I liked, in the opening credits, it says, uh, is it... Kaiju uh, Kaiju Theatres presents, and then it says regular size monster series. Well, that theater you mentioned was actually Sukumoto's actual theater production. There you go. Then also regular size. The monsters at the end of this movie are not regular size. They are anything but regular size. Which monsters would they be? With? <laughs> mm, the coagulated well, of monster. Course, at the start, we get this <laughs> extremely nice handheld camera of the metal fetishist as he's going through. It's this industrial landscape, isn't it? It's mm. setting the tone for this film. As we've said, we've got the industrial music. We've got the, what would you say? It's a very industrial factory set in this whole It's film. like being in like a rundown factory. It's almost like, say, you're in a submarine and you're in like a broken engine room. Because a lot of this film, it looks broken, doesn't it? It looks yes. like there's pieces of machinery everywhere. Bits are snapped off. Bits are leaking. There's gas going everywhere. It's just, Again, it's like a chaotic metal factory. And it's the film's entirely in black and white, which it would be, you yes. imagine. Um, it's filmed with, I guess, a handheld cam. It's handheld. very like very handheld camera. I think sixteen millimeters are usually quite a small cameras. Usually, yes, because it's a like, it's almost like a lot of the time the camera person is just stalking yes. the heroes. Because there's like, you, did you feel a sense of paranoia in this film at all? Paranoia. There's a lot of themes in this film. Paranoia, um, homoeroticism. Wayne. Yeah, that's a lot of them as well. Yeah. Homoeroticism, distrust. Of, I'm trying to think. Am I classmate Strozier? Would you say there's a distrust of women um, when it comes to the girlfriend? Maybe I came up with distrust of machinery more Ma- than distrust. Well, of machi- well, mm, I think it, it's ambiguity when there's when it comes to the machinery, the technology. It depends on the point of view you're looking at. It the does because, because with this film, the plot itself is very difficult to to Sum talk up. about because there are so many scenes where it doesn't seem like a lot of plot stuffs going on. It's all kind of the imagery and the sound that you're absorbing. So it's it's really strange trying to sum up what the story. Is actually yeah. is actually about altogether. But this opening scene, as we mentioned, when we're following the metal fetishist, there's a burning of images of athletes. Mm-hmm. They're like placards of runners, and they're burning in this factory, which I think is actually thematically on point. Because if you think of an athlete, what is an athlete? They are the pinnacle of human ex- excellence, mm-hmm. bodily function wise, mm-hmm. and you're essentially doing away with this, and you're embracing machinery. Mm-hmm. So you're, it's almost like you're saying, okay, humanity at its peak, physical peak anyway, is 
not enough. We have to go beyond human. Yeah, exactly. And that was one of the big themes that someone brought up. Again, you mentioned Upgrade earlier, transhumanism. Trans- Basically, humans trying to be more than they are. You could say, I beyond guess, human. like the next step in human evolution, you could say. And, this is, yeah, and this is done here by essentially merging humans with machines, like we've seen in lots of sci-fi films, cyborgs, the Terminator kind of thing. Yes, but this metal fetishist, he cuts himself open with a knife on the thigh, top of the thigh. Yes. He inserts a rod, a metal rod, into his thigh. Into his leg, yes. Okay, why does he leg it? He runs off here. He does. He's, he was he's spooked by someone, doesn't he? Well, he has a look at his leg, yes. which very quickly develops a maggot infestation. Yeah, I thought, well, what was that? What was that trying to say? Well, I think it was trying to say that maybe because maggots only appear on dead flesh, so it's like, this flesh is Decayed, dead. Yeah. It's useless. The metal is now what's taking over. I think it's the start of the, the taking over process. Interesting interpretation, Wayne. Mm, well, I did. You. I did wonder that. that <laughs> it, mm, that's a very good point. It isn't because he, because yeah, he legs it. I'm like, well, you did stick a metal rod into your leg, so you know, yeah, that's, you're, you're, kind you're of not you, man. You're not right in the head at this yeah, point. Yeah, it starts to rot almost straight away, and he runs off down the street, and he's hit with a car. I was confused here because I didn't realize the car had hit him because it makes it looks like the car freezes in front of him. This is a great scene, Wayne. Mm. This when the car hits him. It almost freezes, and there's these weird abstract pans across the car, played to kind of sleazy soft jazz, would you say? Soft jazz, jazzy, yeah. And I thought, okay, what it's doing here is the filmmaker is fetishizing the machinery here. Mm -hmm. It's objectifying the machine. And I thought here is where it actually paralleled David Cronenberg. And weirdly, it paralleled something what Cronenberg would later go to visit in Crash, Mm -hmm. that the machine is the ultimate fetishistic object and death and injury from it is the ultimate high. Yeah. Someone did also mention there's a kind of profound irony here as well because because with the lead character, you've got this guy who inserts this metal rod and essentially over the course of the film, he becomes more robotic. He becomes more of a machine and he has just been done in by a machine. Well, he, he essentially is injured... Critically injured by the very type of object he objectifies. Exactly. So it's like as much of these robots and machines we can bring into our life, they could ultimately be our undoing. So is it a gratification for him, do you think? To have that happen to him. Yes. Kind of like that's the kind of For the death of his humanity by the machine. Yeah, hoisted by his own petard, as as you could say. But yeah, like he's he's been killed off by the kind of thing he would want to, the kind of thing he would associate with. Yes, Wayne. Mm-hmm. We're, we are very experimental here. We're very... This is very well, abstract. Well, this is an experimental episode. I this have is, no idea which way to go here. This is the Beatles when they go from <laughs> Please Please Me mm-hmm. to Revolver. Yes, this is this is the, this is is the our Revolver, yeah. And we're introduced, obviously, after this scene, this objectification of the machinery, this metal fetishist, to we're introduced to the salary man. To man, yeah. I didn't realise what salaryman when I had to actually look Salaryman it up. is just a, essentially a businessman in Japan. Yeah. What I'd read, interestingly, is it's the kind of person who is expected to dedicate themselves entirely to the company. They are part of the company, kind of like being part of a machine. So you could look at these people, you know, they make the cliche joke about office workers yes. just being another cog in the machine. This man is very much the embodiment of that. Another brick in the wall. Another Pink, brick. Floyd, Pink Floyd exactly. said Pink Floyd. The 70s, yeah. Like I say, experimental, yeah. But as we're introduced to the salary man, very fragmented shots of mm. factory equipment steam yeah. mm-hmm. this objectification of machinery Assem- but, assembly lines yes yeah, but there's this weird scene when we're introduced to the salary man 
And we're saying the salary man not because we can't pronounce his Japanese name. He does not have a name. He's, he's, I, I've always found him called just Man. I've got him in my notes as Man. But here's a weird scene where we're introduced to him. He's in a business suit. Mm-hmm. And what is he doing? It's almost like a convulsion or a dance with, is he perspirating or is there water falling on him? I think he's actually sweating. He's sweating through a lot of this. It's film. almost like this kind of twitchy dance he's doing to mm-hmm. this kind of thumping industrial music. And what I thought when I was watching this, some of these scenes are very much like early music videos. Yeah, I did I did feel a lot of it was like a music video. Very avant-garde, which is where early music videos were influenced by people mm-hmm. forget this now they see it as like pop culture which mm-hmm. it obviously is but music video editors uh, directors were very influenced by the avant-garde this is where you got the proliferation of quick cuts yeah that was a very avant-garde technique at the time mm-hmm. and this is how we're introduced to him very very mtv like circa very, 1985 it is yeah and, and you were saying about factory lines assembly yeah. lines machines this brought in what i feel to be one of the main themes of this movie mechanization the idea of robots machines coming into our lives and the worry of them taking over because this is movies 1989 yeah so is this when people were more worried that for example machines robots were going to take people's jobs automation people, yeah. people were going to be pushed out of the workforce because there's even people now say something as simple as self checkout tails at the supermarket there are people who don't use those as a way of protesting what's seen as being taking someone's livelihood away someone's job away so here we've got this guy and like i say as the movie goes over he becomes more machine it's like he's being taken over by these machines we're also the salary man is shaving in the mirror when mm-hmm. and does a very bad job of it well there's a metal <laughs> object in his cheek there is yeah it's almost like a little fuse stuck we in his will cheek. find out where that came from mm-hmm, we but- do not know yet but but what happens when he touches it? <laughs> it, it, it? It explodes in a pocket of blood, does it? It does. Blood spurts all over the place. At the same, round about the same time, I didn't get this. He's on the phone to someone. And they just kept saying hello. They just kept saying hello. It's mush, 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 back and forward. They just kept saying hello to each other, which I thought was a bit strange. Juxtaposed with this image, almost CTV-like, mm-hmm. CCTV-like, of a couple of insects in... Mm. A wooded area. Yeah, I did think a lot of like scenes like that is there's the two different kind of film qualities yes. where some of them there's these big thick lines which looks like again like you say CCTV footage. So it's almost again the paranoia of being watched, of being observed. But this is the inciting incident in the film, Wayne, because mm. after she keeps saying hello and they say hello on the phone, she actually says, "When I think of the incident, I get a strange feeling." Mm-hmm. The incident. The incident. Is there any language more vague than just the incident? Are you getting the point that this might be the car accident, Wayne? I think it could be, yes. I think it is. So far, that's the biggest incident, really, we've had so far. And after this, we cut off, cut to the salary man getting off the train. Mm-hmm. Another worker bee image. Everybody mm-hmm. getting off the train. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like just like worker bees in a hive. More yeah. fragmented cuts to metallic objects. Because mm-hmm. there's one on the floor here, isn't there? Because he's, yes. he's sat next to a woman at the train station. Yep. And there's this thing on the floor. It's like a mixture of flesh and yeah. steel. I had no idea. It was just a weird kind of lump of yeah, like metal and flesh. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Very strange. I had it written down as a robot hand. But it takes over her. It does. She taps it with a pen and yeah, it completely takes over her. Again, talking about this theme of things taking over. 
possession waiting. Mm-hmm. Your possessions possessing you. Yeah, I've got robots taking over human lives. Yes. I've got that noted down. And yeah. she follows him. Yeah, she eventually goes crazy. She's almost him. zombified, you'd say. Mm, exactly. Do you think that's a comment on yeah. people being zombified by technology, which you see with smartphones now? If you see a bunch of people walking down the street, they're just looking at their phone, walking mm. away. It's just placating them, just removing yes. their individuality and turning them into worker drones, essentially. Consumers. Exactly, consumers, yeah. Which I suppose you could say this is a comment on consumer culture. You could, yeah. Why would you say it's a comment on consumer culture? Well, what is um, steel? What is uh, machinery? What is industry? It is ultimately the manufacturing of consumption. Mm -hmm. And they're taking away their human abilities and Mm -hmm. replacing it with consumption, this manufactured material. So you essentially become the product that you are making and selling. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and she, did she chase him into a, it's into a bathroom? She chased a bathroom him into. stall. Yeah, and this is where the the camera shots look like bad CCTV footage. A lot of this movie is kind of not crazy chases, but just kind of insanity, just absolute insanity. People going crazy, people screaming. There's a lot of that in this film. Well, he barricades himself in the stall. Mm-hmm. She's outside. So does she cut her off off her own ear? I think she does, yes. And that she... falls into the toilet. Yes. Very strange. Also, what did you think of the pacing and editing of some? I've written it down as frantic. Kinetic. Frantic. <laughs> Use any adjective you want, Wayne. It's all of the above. <laughs> it's mad. It's like... But, which we should give a shout out to. Mate, the, the stop motion this film is terrific. It looks fantastic, yeah. The it's... way they, like, they... Almost like they float through the decayed city. Yeah, because the scenes where a character will be like stood still and then they'll just be moved around like again like in stop motion and it's very jarring and very weird but it puts you very much into the kind of frame of mind of the protagonist we said this film took 18 months to film Mm -hmm. do you think 17 of it was getting the stop motion i think it probably was because stop motion is a notoriously laborious process very slow i imagine the only reason they did that is because they couldn't afford cgi it wouldn't even have been that good back in 1989 would it if you try to use CGI. Yeah, because this is where we get the stop motion, because he kind of beats her off. Mm. They make this... It's like a chase scene in yes. stop motion. He gets himself to a garage. And mm-hmm. this is our first ingratiation of this stop motion technique, which we said is terrific. And there's this fight in the garage. Is this where he takes up, he like picks up some of the, the metal or he, something like that, he's using it to fight a her wrench. off? A wrench. He's using a wrench, yeah. He's using a wrench to fight her off. And I think he punches her dead. I think so, yeah. It's a very analogue way of killing yeah. a machine. Bit anticlimactic when she's been this possessed madwoman this entire time. But after this, he gets a pain in the arm. Uh-huh. <laughs> and he's grown the metal appendage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, also... As his foot as well. Yeah, here's an interesting one. Whenever he hit her, we always cut back to Guy. Metal fetishist. On metal fetishist. And every time she got struck, he felt it. So I'm thinking, right, this guy is like the soul of the machine. He is like the embodiment of technology. He's a driving force. It's 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 mm. his way you're seeing the film through. And the metal fetishist... Christ, keep saying that when you're pissed, Wayne. Exactly. <laughs> metal metal fetishist. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> He's kind of... What would you say, right? Let's try to sum it up. Mm-hmm. It's his backstory in this film you get. Yes. It's his childhood you get. He's kind of the driving force of the film, in a mm-hmm. sense. Mm-hmm. There is sequels. We should say, I don't think either of us, either of us has saw the other two. Two sequels, yeah. Two, yeah. One of which only came out in 2009, I yeah, think. Yeah, relatively recent. Mm-hmm. So if there is any explanation in the sequels, we're completely going just from this first film. Yeah. Our interpretation is from this first film. We've never saw the other two. Yeah, exactly. So, um, like you say, his arm and his, his foot's mutating as well, isn't it? Yeah. And there's metal pipes coming out of it. 
which yep. is funny because we had the metal pipes earlier. So this guy is going through the process like the metal fetishes is. He's essentially becoming a machine. He's becoming more yep. robot-like. And we, and we also get this stage. We get this nightmare sequence. It's this woman dancing. This Is it supposed to be erotic? I don't know. Well, She's got a tube coming from her waist. Mm-hmm. Everything, have you noticed that a lot in this film, a lot of the machinery is phallic? Yeah, I was going to say, there was a lot of phallic, Im- phallic yeah. imagery in this. Is that some kind of commentary, or is that just kind of a quirk that the director had? Because there was a lot of phallic imagery in well, this film. Uh, Wayne, hey. Hey, we I think we, I we think, haven't even got to the best one yet. I think, it, well, this is that scene, I think you're meaning. When she's doing this it, weird interpretive dance, she's got the tube coming from her, from her waist. Mm-hmm. This is a dream sequence. This isn't literal, is it? Well, I've written, is it a dream sequence question mark? Because I do think it's a dream sequence. Because this movie is so warped and it's so twisted. A lot of the time, it's difficult to tell. So much of this movie feels like a fever dream. Well, I think this fits into what I was saying before. Is is there an inherent theme of distrust in women in this film? Mm. Because later, we find out that one of the driving forces of this film... turned on his girlfriend Mm -hmm. so if we know that we don't know this at the moment but we will find out later and now because she was turned on by that incident is he seeing her as demonic in a sense Mm -hmm. because in this sequence she's dancing with a metal tube and as we've said Mm -hmm. he's on his knees naked yes do you want to say what she does to him Wayne with her her metallic appendage you mean her uh, as I've written a long metal dick there's a lot of dick references in this film she essentially sodomizes him with this long metal dick trying to think of the most polite way I could say yes and again this is is this more talking about invasion, invasion these things being in his body he's already got these robot parts inside his body and now he's got a long metal penis technology being thrust upon you whether you like it or not <laughs> and in this case it's literal <laughs> this is not, not what figuring. this is not what Isaac Asimov wanted <laughs> Again, like we say about reality and dreams, I felt a lot of time in this movie, reality and dreams were constantly blurring. There was constantly a very fine line between them. Which is why I said to you before, I liked it more, or I got it more on second viewing. First time, as I said, you're like, okay, I'm appreciating the technique, there's a brilliance to this, Mm -hmm. but there is moments I'm like, what the fuck is Mm. going on? Just like second that, just time, like guy from earlier, yeah. Yeah, second time you get it a lot more. Yeah, I think the second time you're not experiencing everything fresh, so you're able to look at the little layers and the nuances and yeah, notice little things. Because the seen first before. time you can feel like you're just being bashed bashed upon the head over and over. The first time can feel overwhelming, but the second time when you watch it, there's a lot more things you notice because you're more prepared for it this time. This would have been a great cinematic experience, don't think. It would be because you were the one you were the one that introduced me yeah. to this film, but you didn't really tell me anything about it. No, I had it. never seen it. I'd always wanted to see it, but I'd oh. never seen it. I thought, all right, this podcast we this is a good chance to actually like, see we're the We're film. like, let's do just a crazy out there wild experimental episode. Let's so, get crazy, Wayne. What's man, we did get crazy. Oh fuck. We go nuts. We, we <laughs> And then is this We may part? never recover, Wayne. No, I don't think we will. Uh, Especially with that nightmare sequence. Yeah, man. This whole film is a nightmare sequence. Is this about the point where the man... uh, Jumps awake. Yes, the man jumps awake, yeah. He drenches his head under the tap. Also a long metallic tube. Phallic-like again. Mm -hmm. His facial scar is getting worse. He peels off the layer of skin. Yeah. I think it's a skin, is it? He peels off or is it a plaster? He's got a plaster on his face. And this is where there's some scenes cut with static TV visuals. Yes. He feeds her with a fork, Wayne. Yeah, and it what makes, is this? Well, whenever she feeds him, it's it's done in a very fetishistic. He feeds her. Fe- yeah, in this very fetishistic manner. Because every time he bites, she bites anything. There's this grinding metallic noise, like a metal churn and metal screeching noise. Yeah, almost like you like you were scratching a plate uh, a plate with a fork. Okay, even on second viewing, I wasn't sure what that meant. What does it mean? 
I'm not sure. You don't know either. Because you've been fed real food. Is this feeding the machine? Or is he being so overcome by machinery that his senses now are becoming warped? Yeah, it's like it's it's burrowed its way into his it's brain. It's maybe not a literal interpretation. Yeah, he's, he is yeah. hearing these things, yeah. This is where, for me, the film really started to feel like The Fly, the David Cronenberg. Nice you say that, Wayne, because mm. I was actually going to say this film has, to me... The cinematography of this film, there's a very strong German expressionist. Mm. The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, that stylized, that hyper, yeah. hyper like the, stylized. Like Fritz, Fritz Lang kind Fritz of films. Lang, Fritz Lang, that, yeah. that German expressionism. Mm-hmm. And also um, Kafka's The Metamorphosis, Metamorphosis. that transformation. Mm. Because as avant-garde this film is trying to be, as experimental is, there's a lot of almost nods to classic cinema frankenstein mm-hmm. this ability that somebody is creating you exactly yeah, yeah because he's been built he's been put together he's essentially think... being created against his whim yeah. also when you think of frankenstein what's one of the classic images you think the bolts the on bolts the, the bolts metallic again yeah exactly it all comes together yeah and uh i mean the fly one of my favorite horror films to me but uh, uh, good old cronenberg cronenberg yeah that feel that this kind Better of feel than the as well I haven't seen the original actually. With Vincent Price. Mm. Oh, Vincent Price. No, yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna have to get that watched. Both, both good, mm-hmm. but like, we're getting darker in the Cronenberg territory. It's yes. more body horror. It's yeah. more explicit to make it sound cheap because that just makes it sound like you're trying. Oh, this is explicit. It's yeah. more gruesome is better, but it 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 has more depth. I'd say. It does, yes. But at this point, we're also. <laughs> <hey>. <laughs> Here comes a term that you're going to hear a lot. Uh, the man attacks. Is it his girlfriend or his wife? That's never girlfriend. Been... It, it, on the credits, his girlfriend. His girlfriend. Yeah, he attacks. Uh, he basically attacks her with his. Uh, I've got uh, drill dick. He has got a drill dick. Wayne. He develops. He has a drill, a drill dick. dick. You think he was just jealous of hers because his is well, it's not longer, but it's much wider than hers. <laughs> he had so, metal. He had sounded metal... like a true man, there. <laughs> he had metal penis envy. Metal penis envy. <laughs> so he attacks. My God! And even in technology, yeah. we've, we're envious. Yeah, man. He but he attacks her with this thing, and again, this is where a lot of the stop motion is. Do you know how they made that drill? It was oh. essentially made from basically uh, Fujiwara deconstructed uh, uh, a fan. And just use that for the spinning thing because they had to use whatever. Fujiwara they could get being the girlfriend. Fuji the girl- girlfriend. Yeah, it was just a fan that was in her apartment, and she just disassembled it and like stuck some things to it, and that's how we have the the drill dick. Oh, is that a good thing or a bad thing, Wayne? Well, it's one of the endearing images of this uh, of this filming. It is the most iconic image. It is, and again, like we say, the phallic imagery. It's everywhere. It's things constantly being penetrated, things being destroyed with the drill dicks. So. But- <laughs> <laughs> Is this com- is this some kind of comment on inadequacy or something? The fact he has to develop this to feel better about himself. Wayne, mm-hmm. you've hit it on the head because there is a later scene where there's almost like this. There's a flashback scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you don't know it's a flashback scene at the start because mm-hmm. all this is hidden in imagery. But there's a scene later on with an older guy. Yes, and he's berating somebody, and that person's voice who keeps saying don't, turns into a child's voice. Mm-hmm. We'll get to that later. Yes, we will. But yes, it is. I think there is a comment on inadequacy there. Yeah, in fact, this guy says it in the scene, because there's not much dialogue in no, this no. scene. It's mostly done through imagery. But the man, while he's attacking his girlfriend with this drill duck, he says, you want to play with a super screw, bitch? Which is a line I never thought I'd ever write down. Because he attacks her with drill dick. Yeah, because I remember the the table gets ready because I remember sawdust flying everywhere because he attacks a table and she's trying to fight it off. Eventually, she succumbs. Mm. Okay, so (laughs) she apparently kind of is swayed by the drill dick. Why wouldn't you be? 
does she try to make love to him? I don't know. At and that po- kills her? At one point, she gets him in the, in the throat, doesn't she? I think she yeah, st- but then she starts the kissing point. him. Yeah, and then she starts kissing him. It's like she's she's giving in to this. Which proves there's a woman out there for everybody. There is. There's, there's Even if you've got a <laughs> drill for a dick. There is somebody for every single fetish, yeah. And we have him, he's lying in the bath at one point, because his transformation now... No, he puts her in the bath, because oh, he, he her, kills her. Oh, he does actually kill her, yeah. But and he, the, Okay, there's a kissing scene in the bath when she is dead, right? Yes. And... Because at this point, he's turning fully metallic, mm-hmm. almost. And there's a tube coming out of his mouth. Yeah. And when he tries to... Is it a kiss? Because he puts almost like the tube in her mouth and it secretes some kind of liquid. Yeah. Is that like a, a machine form of a kiss? I think it could be because there is something about him excreting something out of his mouth much later on in the film. It's almost like this is just a precursor to it. Because he thinks he's turning metallic at this point. He says... Mm-hmm. It's a punishment, and that's what it is. Mm. But a punishment for what is what you have to wonder. Well, the punishment, Wayne, mm-hmm. should we reveal? The well, punishment is the car at the start. Yes. The metal fetishist running down the street. This girlfriend and Mr. Drilldick <laughs> were the ones who ran over this they guy. They were the ones who ran him in the car. And not only did that, they took his body, and I believe they just dumped his body. They dumped his body. And then, worst of all, they essentially had sex very close to the location. Because this is someone that we keep popping back to. It's like a sex tape the two of them made. Which, or it's just somebody watching them. And it, what is interesting, because the metal fetishist... I'm sick of saying that way. <laughs> it's hard to say. It is a bit. So we get... The, as we mentioned, there's these scenes of CCTV-like quality. And what we find out in this film, when you're seeing the point of view of the CCTV, you're actually seeing the world through the metal fetishist's point of view... Because this guy is now fully incorpor- incorporated into metal. Yeah, he's I've he's, down, he's, he's technology embodied. He is the lifeblood of yeah. the machines. Like the machines are like all now connected through him. And our guy, man, dude, he's essentially becoming more and more machine like. I said at one point he looks like his body looks like it's been covered in glue and he's rolled around in a tool shed. Because it's all these things kind of haphazardly stuck to him, all over his face, all over his body. There is one scene in this film. You mentioned he cools off in the bath. Yes. What is that about? Cools off in the bath. What do you think that is? I don't know. Is is it because he's having to like oil up? Maybe he's using the water to oil up his parts or something like that? Or is he just lying there kind of lamenting? Because there's a lot of, like I say, a lot of craziness, a lot of screaming. And he's freaking out at the fact that he's essentially turning into a machine. Because there's also a CCTV-like image. Yes. And he's speaking to... Somebody is speaking to somebody. It's a doctor. There's a scene where he's saying... You've got a piece of metal stuck in your head. Yes. If he pulls it out, he'll die. Think of it as an ornament. Because this is the doctor talking to essentially young metal fetishists. Yes, that's what I got as well from it. Yeah, and this is like, this is what started him off. He th- This thing in his head, maybe he thought it was some kind of a curse, but he decided to embrace it. And maybe this is what's led him on this path to machinehood. Eh, Japanese are weird, Wayne. <laughs> they have some crazy game shows. Well, I just watched the game shows. Takeshi's Castle, yeah. It's freaky stuff. But it's, again, I love this rep um, that we're getting to highlight a film like this, which I think a lot of folk won't usually see. But it's a very interesting window into, again, like you say, a very experimental yep. uh, method of filmmaking. Methods of filmmaking. Salaryman gets a phone call. Somebody mm-hmm. says to him, I know all about you. You can't get away from me. Mm-hmm. Who is that? He says, drop dead, you metal beast. Well, at first I thought maybe it was fetishist, but why would he say drop dead, you metal beast? No, he loves metal. Because he loves He's metal. He's a fetishist yeah, for that, metal. That would make no sense for him to say that. At least it's not just someone saying hello over and over Never again. Never mind breasts. This guy likes chrome. <laughs> 
like you say, there are very specific fetishes, yeah. So we this is where we were saying, you get a footage of the crash now. Mm-hmm. So there's these scenes pinpointed and punctuated throughout the film we keep cutting back to salaryman and his girlfriend in the woods yes we get these quick cuts of the making love in the woods against a tree i'm presuming it looks like looks like it yeah so what is this right because we now get in footage rewound mm-hmm. and we're rewinding back into the car crash we go beyond the car crash into the car crash we examine the car crash and we get a, a longer footage of this wooded scene mm-hmm. and what it basically sets up is after the crash salaryman and his girlfriend not only did they accidentally i suppose and accidentally run over the metal fetishist yes once they disposed of his body she got turned on mm-hmm. and she wants to have sex in the woods mm-hmm. after the death yeah. so this death has excited her in a sense yes which i'm saying previously in the film there is the nightmare sequence of Salaryman seeing his girlfriend as the demon. Ah. So this is what I'm saying. Is this where the interpretation or the fear of women comes in? Mm. Because it's her who was excited by, in a sense, death. Ah. And he's, okay, and he's after the crash being like, oh my God, this woman is crazy. And he, like, he visions her in this nightmare scenario. So you think, in a sense, he's kind of holding her responsible for what's happening now. Yes. Because, you know, when he's seen her in that vision. In, it's uh, almost demonic. In that vision, yeah, and she yeah. had that weird, that metal dick thing. It's yeah. almost like, that's 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 like a representation of her arousal at... Yeah, at, at the what, death. At, at the death, yes. Yeah. It's enough because actually, this movie, I would say necessity, it's, at least two viewings, because the first time I watched it, I didn't even realize it was them that had knocked them over with the car. I think no. I was just so. I think I was just so confused at all the imagery going on. I had to watch it a second time to kind of work that out. The thing with this film is, like the film itself, it's very non-verbal. Mm. So talking about it doesn't do justice to the film technique of the piece. No, you can't really describe this image. You have to see it. For you yourself. need to see it. it yeah. It's complete. It's a complete visual medium. Yeah, this is filming distilled like it was. In the silent era. Yeah, it's all say, about the image. This could have been a silent film very easily, and it would still, you know, all the messages would still have come across. The guy on the phone, actually, who's talking to him, saying, I, I know everything. Metal he, beast, says, yeah. he says, soon even your brain will turn to metal. So again, it's hammering home this idea of this person is irrevocably changing into a machine. He's becoming less of a human. Even so, even his mind is changing. It's working its way into his brain. Yeah, trippy stuff, Wayne. Yeah, trippy even stuff. even his apartment's changing because there's is this it's more metal. Everything's becoming more metal. His cats, his cats are is turning it? to metal, which are which were Fujiwara's cats. And she said, yeah, she lived there with the cats in this kind of cheap apartment. Did she not live near a bit where there was a lot of stray cats or something akin? To she that? did, yeah, because she said it was this cheap apartment where most apartments wouldn't allow animals, but she lived this one so she could have them. And everything is changing in his apartment. It's all changing to metal. So it's like even this man's perception of the world around him is being morphed. That's interesting. Do you think it's perception or do you think it's literal? That's perception. The thing, that's the thing we don't know because you've got this kind of unreliable narrator because we're following this guy. Are we seeing what he's actually seeing or just what he's imagining around him? Yeah. It's fun. I'm, so, going, I'm going crazy now just thinking about it. And speaking of crazy, this is where we get a chase scene throughout the city. 
all in stop motion, terrific in stop motion. motion again. Yeah, but do you think it's, dis- it's kind of disorientating watching stop motion? Sukumoto was asked about the techniques in this film, and he said, look, directing doesn't just consist of literally directing actors. It incorporates all types of art form. And now we've got the stop motion. I'm assuming there's bits of animation in this film. Mm. Interestingly, do you find this film is very manga-influenced? Yes, it does look like it. Even if it's a metal fetishist spiked-up hair, is very <laughs> an- anime. Yeah, it looks like the kind of thing you would get in like a Naruto cartoon yeah. or something like that. Yeah, it, it has that. Even later on, he starts to put look like, um, like makeup on his face. Yep. Even that looks like someone you would see in a manga. Which is, I think, it's huge in Japan, isn't it? Anime, manga it's, culture. That's what, that's what it came from, yeah. yeah. But it's, it's pretty much an institution over there, isn't it? It's, like a life, it's a lifestyle for some people. Oh, well. But yeah, there's a chase scene around the city. Um, like I say, stop motion, very jerky, very strange. But very compelling chase scene, though. Very compelling. And I think this is about around the time the woman comes alive again, his girlfriend in the bath. She does, yes. And he attacks her with a knife. She attacks him with a knife. Yeah. This... And she implodes in stop motion. There's this implosion almost where she ceases. She turns into the metal fetish. Yeah, that much. was weird. Like, she kind of, she almost breaks down like she dissolves. And Guy emerges from her body. And this is where that chasing happens. Yeah, and then the chasing happens that's after that. Pastor, that's... <laughs> what does that mean? This salaryman is having a very bad day. I don't know. Has he just fully taken over? Not just taken over. He's replaced her. He's re- because she's gone. Machines now. are replacing Wayne. Yeah, here we go. That's, the, that's the interpretation. He doesn't trust this woman, so he's replaced her, and now he's chasing man around the city. Feeds into that distrust of women <laughs> theme I thought before. I'm what? sure that's one of the themes, is it? Yeah, if it could be. I never actually picked. I never actually picked up on that. I didn't even think about that. I was. I guess I was too busy thinking of all. I the, think so. Anyway, I don't the know. machinery similar. It could be. Ah, who knows? But can the interpretations about a film be wrong if you truly believe them and you have something to back it up with? Yeah, tell that to you know serial killer number one. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure somebody's misinterpreted something. So misinterpret plenty of things. Yes. So uh, yeah, the chasing them around the chase city. scene, and also I think we mentioned before. We almost get this guy, mm-hmm. this middle-aged man. He, would you say he's a homeless man? Sort of, yeah. He's a fully human guy by the looks of it. He attacks him on the street. Yeah. And we get this glimpse into the metal fetishist's childhood because mm-hmm. he's being beat. Yes. And the adult is saying, the metal fetishist, don't, don't, don't. Don't, don't, don't. Which soon changes into a child saying, don't, don't, don't. Yeah. And interestingly, I think this sums it up. I think this is what this film is about mm-hmm. because... You know that stop motion scene, the yes. chase? Yes. The metal fetishist is wearing essentially a runner's outfit, shorts yeah. and a vest. Yeah, like the athletes we've seen earlier. Like he was burning. Mm. And now we've got the this older man beating on what turns out to be a child. So it essentially it's a childhood memory. Mm-hmm. It's like this memory has come back to kind of haunt him in a sense. So do you think this metal fetishist in his youth, childhood... Mm-hmm. was so badly mistreated that he's almost had a misanthropic opinion of humans, adults, as he is aged, and he feels betrayed by humans. So now he's trying to dehumanize himself and then fully incorporate himself into the material world, the technological world, the non-human world, as a way of distancing himself from the... The terror of humanity. Yeah, no, that's a very good way to put it. Yeah, I never even thought of that. Again, it's this idea of transhumanism is that maybe he's been treated so badly, he is sick of humans, he wants to be something else, he wants to be machine, he's kind of retreated into this world. And yeah, and this is a memory that's come back to haunt him because the guy is beating yes. him with a like a metal pole. Metal rod. Funny, because I was thinking it's almost like this guy's own metal is being used against him. Everything's metal in this film, Wayne. Everything's metal. This movie is metal, damn it. <laughs>
Metallica would have been a good title for the film. Would he, yeah. If there wasn't a band, of course. <laughs> they could have done the soundtrack. Yes, yeah. they could have done the soundtrack. Yeah. Or and Nine Inch Nails would have been a good Nine soundtrack. Nine Inch Nails as well. That would yeah. have been very fitting, yes. But this is, again, this seems to be Guy's kind of only weakness because this is the only kind of thing that yep. has any kind of real advantage over him in the film because mm. he's able to very easily dominate anybody else. But after this chase scene, the salary man escapes to the factory. Yes. Fascist appears, of course. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's does, probably his factory. Does he have some kind of psychic powers? He almost bends the machines to his own accord. He does, yeah. I think, again, like we say, he is the soul of the machine now, so he's just getting the machines he to... He is the machine. He is the machines. He's getting the machines to do his bidding. He's got, like, almost a telepathic connection with metal. Because the fetishist's say. hand kind of comes off and turns into a rod. It does, yeah. That was a weird scene. It looks like he's kind of malfunctioning. It's like his hand is coming or off. Or he's morphing more into the machine. Yes. Because that tube fires. Mm-hmm. I don't know how he could be more Phallic again, way. Phallic again, Everything's yes. a rod. More phallic, yeah. And he's talking about the rods because obviously the metal fetishist at the start, we've seen him put that metal rod into his leg and he's saying to the salary man, he says... The metal bar I implemented was rusty, and the rust fused with my yes. cells. I'm like, well, it's kind of on you, man. Maybe yeah. you should have got a clean rod instead. He should have just got a tetanus shot. He should have, yeah. Then he says, he said, the metal shaver you used was new and without rust. So is this like an old world versus new world kind of thing? Rusty versus non-rusty? So is salary man the new version... Maybe. And this is why he's... A, I have no idea. And this is why maybe Metal Fetishist wants him, wants to assimilate him. But here, I think, is where the, the homoeroticism comes in, because there's an image of them unmetalled. Yes. So, to say in crappy English. <laughs> and they're almost naked. Yes. Or are naked. And they're almost symbiotic now. They're yes. almost Siamese now, aren't they? Mm-hmm. They're one in the same. And they even physically meld into one la- large, giant piece of metal. They do. They essentially... They essentially coagulate because there's some kind of a battle. Fetishist obviously has the upper hand and they kind of fuse together. They fuse as one. Yes. Man, well, man at one point does use his ultimate weapon, the drill dick, of course. Drill dick, well, But yeah. the two fuse together and it's like a massive worm head comes out of it. Was, was it a worm head? I couldn't really tell. I'm like, what the hell no is idea. going on here? Did you ever feel like somebody had slipped some acid into your drink? Yes. And you <laughs> too much and you were having a especially bad trip. Or I felt that was the best way to watch this movie when I was Oh, just imagine that. Yeah, but this was the bit I don't think some people recovered if they had done that. No, no, that would have ended them. But this is the point where some people were saying how this film was a commentary on transhumanism because these people are becoming metal, but they're becoming more than human. And this melding together is almost like the final stage or the next stage in human evolution and development. But when they're melded together, the salary man seems more at peace now. He's kind of accepted this now and he's embracing the technology. You say that, but did you see the look on his face? Because yeah. he stuck to him and, like, again, that stuff coming out of his mouth and he looks like he's in pain and he says, I feel great. Like, yes. You don't look at man. You well, do not look at it at all. And then Guy essentially decides, he says, let's turn the world into metal. The metal fetishist. Yeah, and man's like, uh, Sally man's like, yeah, good idea. Well, he says, how about we turn the world into metal? And he says, our love can destroy the whole fucking world. Mm, And then he talks about, he says, they'll turn it to rust and it'll leak out and it'll dust all over the universe. And then Sally man says, I love this line, he says, sounds like fun. Does it? Poignant. Not really. <laughs> is it? I don't know. It's just looks like, oh, sounds like fun. He looks so unhappy. But this is, again, this is So this is has them. been the fetishist's um, mission statement all along. Do you think, this is what I was saying before, is it a comment on somebody's misanthropy trying to change the world because they hate it so much? Yeah, it's kind of like, uh, it became almost a running joke in Final Fantasy films where the lead characters was basically, they hated humanity, they were sick of it, so we're going to destroy this world 
and kind of birth it anew. Yeah. If that, you can't be happy, I'm going to destroy the whole world. Exactly. I've not had a happy childhood. I hate humanity. Yeah. So I'm going to destroy humanity, and that's it. And I reckon they could probably do that. Fuck the fetishists, Father Wayne. <laughs> you son of a bitch. You son of a bitch. You've made the world all metal. Yeah, and so they both ride off to destroy the world. Yay, I guess. I can only assume what the sequels were, Wayne, because yep. we have never seen them. No, I've never seen it. Credits roll, and you know what it says during the credits? It says, game over. Game over? Is that an explicit warning to us? Because these guys are out in, these guys are out in the streets. Well, if anybody <laughs> sees Drill Dick coming along, yes. take a runner. Yeah, if you see a Drill Dick coming towards you, just run as fast as you can. But that's it. That's the end of the film. It's only an hour and... Hour seven-ish. Hour seven minutes? I think there was a DVD cut of an extra ten minutes. Never seen that one, though. Mm. More Drill Dick? Ah, well, it'd, it'd be more stuff nobody understood. Yes, it'd be more freaky stuff. I've got to say, though, Wayne. Mm-hmm. Really liked it. Yeah, me too. Absolutely liked it. Fascin- fascinating it's- film. You know, there's there's certain films that come along and they're so singular that even if you fully don't always get what they're doing or they're trying to say, you think, oh man, this is a great ride to be on. Yes, I know plenty of people, if I recommended this movie to them, they would hate me for it because they would not, it's just not grasping that idea of, you know, the sort of kind of people who just like much more. They want a linear story, they just want, look, give us a story yeah. that I can get engaged in. Act one, act two, act three, yeah. a simple kind of thing. But this is, again, it's very, very experimental. I can't see it working as well on stage as it does on film. No, no, no. But on film, it deals with so much. Yeah. It, there's so many, not just surface level, but like below the surface level stuff, just all kinds of themes to deal with. Technology taking over lives, us being replaced with technology. Misanthropy, as you were saying, yep. which I didn't even think about the first time round. I'm pretty sure that's the comment there. Yeah, uh, again, transhumanism, humans moving to the next level, and it's all done. Like I say, the stop motion is fantastic. In Absolutely this film. brilliant. It looks so good. It's an incredible blending of fiction and reality. You never know where a dream stops and a dream ends. And it looks like it doesn't look like it was fun to make, and apparently it wasn't. But it's yeah, say re- say that to the, all the crew that left. Say to the crew, say that I'm to sure the crew members that stormed out. Yeah, but. It's an incredible piece of work. To I think, think one man made this, yes. essentially. This was essentially one Tsukamoto, person's vision. One man's it was vision. his vision. Mm-hmm. Which pers- he went on to have a decent career. He had Tokyo Fist. Yes. He had obviously the sequels to this, two more sequels. Yeah. yeah. He's not like a big name or anything, but I think this is a kind of film, if you're... Very cult, extremely cult. Very much, yeah. very cult, very experimental. In fact, that's why we decided to do this. We thought, let's just get the most crazy experimental film we can think. Let's have a go at this. I'd almost say, would you say 85 to 90% of people aren't going to like this? Absolutely. Of the general population. We're not on about like, film lovers, yeah. just if you were to recommend this to a... That, that percentage of the population won't see it either. No, it's not because they don't get it. I just don't yeah. think it's got mass appeal. No, I think a lot of films... If if it's you have to look a lot further into it, if you have to watch it multiple times, I think a lot of people won't have that same kind of patience for mm. it. They don't want to look for metaphors. They don't want to look for symbolism, deeper surface meanings. They just want a very didactic kind of thing. So again, Act One, Two, Three. This movie is not just like that. Something that's easily enjoyable. Exactly, easily digestible. Yep. This is the kind of film going in. You just need to have a very very open mind. Are you going to rush to see the sequels now? I'd like to see the sequels. Yes, I think that I think that'll be that would make an interesting future episode, I guess. Apparently they're a bit more conventional than this one. They don't have the same crazy and zaniness as this one. I, I can imagine so, especially with, with two thousand nine with technology coming as far as it has, yeah, it's gonna look a lot different. But this film's aesthetic benefits it. Yeah. The fact it looks dirty and grainy and gritty, it creates that that other otherworldly feel that I think that the director was going for. Do you know for. what, Wayne? Mm-hmm. 
That sounds like a very, very strong recommendation. Yes, I'd say it's definitely a very strong recommendation for me. Know what you're getting into going in, but uh, if you're in the right mindset, I think you're really going to enjoy this And on the plus side, Hmm. even if you hate it, at least you've seen it. At least you've seen it, yeah. At least you can see it and you can tell other people. You'll have friends who will like this, I think. So for me, strong recommendation. And for yourself? Very strong. Love it. You've been listening to episode 19 of In Film We Trust. Once again, I'm Wayne. I'm Liam. Join us next week where we will discuss, dissect and deep dive all things film from the obscure to the mainstream. (laughs) 